Welcome back to the Girls Talk Ag podcast, plowing through the manure online. Uh, today, we decided to have a fun little conversation about cash commodity trading, ranging from inputs to grains to livestock to milk. Um, you know, after last week's conversation on uh the dairy market and the sugar beet market and all of that, we thought, hey, what the hell, let's tackle this subject too. Um, this week, as always, I have my bestest friends in the agricultural world and beyond, uh, Karen Corrigan. Angie, I think we need to teach you what the word fun really means. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, I've heard stories. You definitely could show me what fun is. That's, except for I might end up in a dumpster or out shoes, coal car. That's what. Stay tuned for our outtakes edition if you want to know what we mean by the coal car story. Well, I will just warn you that I took a D for diploma in AggieCon 100. (laughs) 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 All right, so this conversation will be fun. I flunked out of school. I flunked out of school, so. That's right. Well, this will be fun. I've got Jen Campbell here, too. I didn't introduce you yet, Jen. Sorry, I'm a chatty Kathy this morning, but you can... Wave and say hi. Wait, yeah, she's waving too. You just can't see. Totally waving. That's fine. And for once, without actually am. Yeah, it's a one finger salute, but she's waving (laughs) to all her friends. So yeah, we're gonna talk about some Aggie con stuff, I guess, or or you know everything. We were actually chatting before we got started on this, and and uh, about what goes into different things. And I was explaining a little bit of what I do, and and both of you guys were like, "What?" Yeah, it and, sound, it sounded pretty much like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah 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 wah. wah. I think it's I think, voodoo. I don't know. That's right. It's voodoo magic. Um. And that's why, yeah, I guess I take it for granted on what I do. And and I realize that, you know, in a lot of ways, once you hand over whatever the commodity is that you're responsible for growing, um, what happens afterwards is really kind of up in the air, you know, as to where does it go or how does someone handle it or what do they do with it? And so, um, yeah, let's talk about how stuff gets gets priced, Uh, fertilizer, chemicals, you know, all that good junk um, as well. Karen's going to share with some really epic insight on that side. Aren't you, Karen? Sure. See, that's confidence right there <laughs> and knowing what she's talking about. So I have a lot of Monopoly money in my pocket. I guess the main thing is, you know, kind of what we're we're looking at is is there's a significant difference between cash price and futures. Um, and sometimes that's people's gripes out there is is that the cash price is one thing and then what they see on the board or the futures is another thing. And I guess it's important to kind of understand what goes into both. Um, you know, do you guys have questions on that or do you just want me to kind of dig in full speed here? You go for it. Okay, so interrupt me when you have questions and we can kind of build it around there. like Bart Simpson writing out sentences on the board over and over again. Right. I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I still don't get it. Beat me upside the head with it. We'll see what happens. But okay, so what a futures market is, and and we were kind of chatting about this too prior, um, you know, because we were talking about physical delivery. So the, the futures market is set up as something that's totally different than, you know, for instance, your stock um, options or something like that. Like no one's going to show up to your door with a hundred Apple, you know, pieces of Apple phones or something of that nature and say, here's your Apple stock. See, that Um, would make me feel better. 
right? If you knew. Well, that's yeah. what. So when in commodities, um, instead of just owning paper or something like that, which you do own paper, of course, and you can roll out of your position, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're not just going to, to trade commodities and have someone show up. But the one thing that is uh, interesting with commodities is that there is physical delivery that's supposed to be tied to every contract traded. So in theory, um, you know, when everything was set up for the commodity market, it was supposed to just be basically your merchants and farmers. And it was designed as a way to to manage risk, um, you know, based on on what we knew domestically and globally, which when the, the futures market was started, we didn't know a whole lot of anything about what was going on globally, nor did we really care. Um, but it was it was basically designed and in, in Chicago as a way to for farmers or or merchants um, to understand um, what the hell was going on and what they should be paying uh, for a commodity for a bushel of wheat, a bushel of corn, bushel of beans, something of that nature. Um, and so, like I said, the the big difference or what makes commodity futures interesting is it's backed up by that physical product. You know, for instance, right now, I am the proud owner of a few hundred thousand or a hundred thousand plus bushel of wheat sitting in um, Toledo in my name because I had a long futures position, long story behind it. I had a farmer that, you know, we haven't priced yet. I'd sold his side, moved it into the the flour mill. And, and so I got a call this morning that I'd been delivered on. I'd stopped it. The deliveries had come in. And, and I mean, that's not the end of the world. A lot of people tell you, Oh my God, I don't know what you're going to do. You redeliver and you get paid back the money that you had to spend in the first place. So not the end of the world, but that's what makes it interesting. You know Um, what would make this interesting? Booze. If the well, booze would help. If you could sing this and do a little dance like schoolhouse rock. <laughs> I'm gonna have to come up with something like the elevator takes the delivery on the See? bushels of grain in Chicago or Toledo. There I like go. that. See, now you there have you my attention. See, that's why I'll have to kind of come up with some more as we move ahead. So um in, in the futures market, that's what we always pay attention to. Right. I mean, you guys, if anyone's talking about grain prices, very rarely are they like, did you see the basis on that? You know, they're usually talking about market crap in Chicago, the guys in Chicago. That's my favorite line. And and so that's, you know, kind of what goes into to the market analysis side is there's two different kinds of market analysis or futures analysis. There's technical, um, which is simply chart points. Um, you know, resistance and support, stuff like that. And then there is fundamental, which is where I am. I am not, I call myself a backyard chart trader or technical trader. Like I can see a resistance point, which is where the market has a hard time going up through. And I can see supports, which is where the market, Sorry, right. (laughs) I can see supports where the market has a hard time going down through or whatever. Um, but I'm more of a fundamental supply and demand person, uh, you know, geopolitical supply and demand, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, most of the time, fundamental traders are long-term traders. Uh, technical traders are short-term traders. You know, what is happening at this very moment that would tell me if I need to buy or um, sell? So uh, how's that so far? Any questions, you guys, on your side? I still don't understand if you don't have an actual bushel, how you can still buy and sell one. <laughs> it's amazing how I never like, cause I'll never physically touch a bushel. So like, but you work with farmers and you work with buyers. So I get your position, but it's like yeah. these guys in Chicago that yes. sit at their computers and don't actually 
have anything to do with either side. Yeah, there are they're fun. There are funds. Like that's what that's part of it too. Is like people are like, well, what the heck's a fund, right? F U N D. Um, and that is you have two different groups. You have a person like me, um, who is your commercial. Um, I am a buyer and seller of commodities and and I turn bushels, farmer bushels into cash. Uh, and then you have your speculators, your non-commercials. And those are the people that make money on guessing whether the market should move higher or lower. So that's, you know, kind of what a fund is. You know, when people talk about the funds coming in, that's your your guy sitting, you know, with the, the old saying, the guy in Chicago. And nowadays it's the guy God knows where, you know, because of electronic trading and the lack of of pits. You know, that's the sad part is it used to be. It was guys in Chicago because you had pits full of hundreds of people who um, were swapping um, contracts and screaming and yelling and throwing the fingers at each other. (laughs) Yeah, we actually I took my girls down my um, assistants one year. We went down to Chicago before the pit closed completely and watched a fight in the corn options pit. That was fun. So I can see betting on that. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. You always bet on Greg O'Leary (laughs) because Greg was crazy. That's why, you know, so it was always fun. It was really fun to see. Actually, it makes me sad that it's gone. But um, and so that's, you know, that's really what you've got is there are the, the betters. And so that's what I tell a lot of my farmers is you have to think of it completely cut ties to emotion. I mean, that's you've got to look at it from a standpoint of you're sitting at a blackjack table and, and you you drew an 18 or you had an 18 dealt to you. And and if you were a, a buyer, a speculator, um, would you buy like would you would you buy at this point knowing what you know or would you pass or would you sell? And so that's what I always try to tell my customers when they get when they have questions about why is the market doing something or, you know, right now in corn, for instance, today we're down four cents. Well, why are we down four cents? Well, you know, there's talk that the weather could dry out and and everyone's still talking about all of the corn that's out there. Uh, and there's concern over what we could see happen in North Korea this weekend. Um, and with South Korea sitting, you know, Seoul, South Korea sitting miles away, um, kind of as a, a sitting duck to a certain extent it, from that crazy North Korean dictator, you know, not really anyone's going to be excited to buy corn going into a weekend when there's three days of weather developments to to see and, and geopolitical developments. So that's kind of where you get the speculators coming in. And then there's a conversation, too, you'll hear about with open interest. And, uh, you know, the reason open interest matters is that's just a gauge of what new buyers or new sellers are coming in. So I always say open interest matters. If if you're setting new highs and open interest is increasing, you have new buyers coming in that are excited about the market continuing to move higher. And if you're setting new lows with open interest increasing, then you have, you know, new sellers coming in. So that's kind of the overview on the, the futures side. Um, so grain futures are monthly, right? There is a monthly... Help kind of they're yeah they're like march may june or excuse me march may uh july september december march again on corn and then you have like may july august september november january march and soybeans so it's like a couple months so i guess to me that makes a little bit of sense why are there not futures every month 
um, that's a good question. I don't know why there's not futures every month. Um, probably because there's they figure. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I I'm open and, to our listeners suggesting as to why they would think there's not futures every month. And in grain, you might you might be like, oh, okay, well, you know, grain stores, whatever. But there aren't futures every month in livestock either, and that's that's a live you know live animal. Yeah. Which is really interesting, I think. Yeah, I mean, because that's why I know like in it's really weird to me right now because we're sitting here. It's April 28th and in like feeder cattle, I think the only next contract that's out there or the contract that has the most interest in it right now is the August, which is weird. Is that because I'm going to ask you, Jen, because, you know, the calfing cycle, is that because most calf, you know, like they aren't going to be ready to sell? For another three months, like right now is calving season. And then do you sell feeders that young? Like at three I, months? I, honest, yeah, um, no, I, boy, I'm, I'm completely guessing here from my hobby herd of cattle. But no, three months is too young, I would think. Is it? That's uh, right. You know, you got your spring calving and some people fall calve. I don't know. I don't. I, yeah, I'd like to know. I'm interested. We'll have to ask our our cattle guys. You know, like the hogs. I mean, cattle are a little bit more cyclical like that. But, you know, the hogs nowadays are are all year round. So why, you know, we don't have futures on those every month. Yeah, it would seem to make more sense. But I think maybe part of it is I would guess it's part of what how it was designed. You know, the the thing. Um, the contracts themselves and, and probably at the time of, of the, uh, when they put it together, um, there wasn't any reason to have multiple months because it took so long to get places. Maybe. I don't know. I'm interested well, in that. We might that, need to, that would be interesting. Yeah. You know, or maybe they just felt like there, it didn't matter as much because, they you know, even when, yeah, even when I started trading, um, grain. I mean, there was a period of time here 10 years ago where the corn market's biggest trading range was two and a half cents for two weeks. Like it used to be that you didn't really have as much activity as what we have right now. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. It's weird. So basically though, activity for you is pretty much year round. Am I correct? With on-farm storage now and- so much going on it's it's just a non-stop cycle it's not it probably picks up in the fall but yeah yeah for me harvest is my busiest um harvest is is absolutely crazy and uh so we've got that you know harvest is is nuts because harvest is when i fill up um my facilities so i'm i'm tiny like i'm i'm all on my own well, I say I'm on my own, but I mean, we've got the, the four elevator, five elevator locations and, uh, I'm small compared to the rest of the world, but we handle about three and a half million that bushels that come into our facilities. And then outside of that year round, I handle about another 9 million in addition. So I handle about 12 million total, but 9 million don't touch my elevator at all. So yeah, I'm busy year round doing stuff and and partially uh, not partially because you're not just dealing with what you 
yeah handle personally but you're trading other stuff and with on am i right with on farm yeah. storage there's just a lot more going on out there now yeah than just at harvest yeah there's tons going on i mean it's a it's an all-year thing and which is great because that's why farmers build bins you know um they've because what you you used to see and it's not as dramatic as is what it used to be but um, used to see the the widest basis at harvest. So as an elevator, um, you would pay the least at harvest time because everyone would be bringing you grain and you'd be run over with bushels, blah, blah, blah. And then you'd spend the rest of the year managing whatever you bought in at harvest time, you know, because your on-farm right. storage stuff wasn't as much. And, and uh, so that was how it went. Well, now farmers have built on-farm storage, so they don't have to bring it to market so they can capture the carry that's that's there, the difference between one month to the next that the market pays you to hold it. And uh, so they they capture that. And then I spend the rest of the time each year outside of harvest working to find the best basis opportunities for my growers. Okay. And the elevator stuff. I mean, I still have to manage the elevator movement. But, you know, like I was saying, the, the harvest basis stuff, um, you know, or basis throughout the year and stuff like that, uh, a lot of people are like, what is basis? Right. So you hear about it a lot, and and uh, you just hear people complain about it a lot. Yeah, because everyone, especially assumes, in North Dakota. Yeah, well, North Dakota. So basis, and I'll, I can explain why people in North Dakota and and Kansas are two of the places that have had the roughest time here. You know, because basis is the difference between cash price and and futures. So that's how your cash price is set is the basis itself, and uh, um. It's really a function of local supply and demand. So like in North Dakota right now, they have grain also coming out of their ass, and they don't have not enough demand. So it's just like anything else in the world. Like, why would you pay more for something you have plenty of? You know, so from an elevator standpoint, they aren't going to pay over and above what they need to pay to get the grain bought because there's lots of grain out there for them to buy. Um, you know, and, and I, it, I'm ahead. asking, I'm asking this cause I honestly have no clue. So do they have, would, would they have less processors in those States? I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because here in Indiana, we, we, most of our corn and soybeans, we haul straight to a processor. Yeah. Well, and that's why, so like your, your corn belt States or your traditional areas that are used to handling a bunch of grain, Indiana, right. Illinois, okay. Iowa, um, you know, you could say, Michigan, Ohio, um, Minnesota is kind of on the the cusp. You could say South Dakota is pretty decent, but like North Dakota was always thought to be, you know, your sunflowers, your dry beans, your lentils, your sugar beets, you know, stuff like that. Well, when the, the corn market rallied, then all of a sudden everyone decided they were going to plant, not everyone, but the a lot of uh, farmers up there decided they were going to plant corn and soybeans. And not only were they planting it, they were planting record crops. You know what I mean? They were seeing record yields because their weather had been perfect. So they not so only their do they... Proce- their processors are the sugar beets and, and stuff like that, whereas they don't yeah. have the processors for the corn and the soybeans. Yeah. And they're trying. Okay. Like in North Dakota right. right now, they're putting some ethanol plants in and, you know, a lot of it's rail. It'll get railed out. Um, there was a elevator in Indiana this past fall with the VOM issue that... Um, bought North Dakota corn and, and railed it into Indiana because they it was cheap. Um, they could buy it and it was guaranteed to not have any vom in it. Boy, uh, rail is getting big. Yes. 
Yeah. And it needs to be. I mean, that's the nicest way you can move 100,000 bushel of grain. It's big, but it's always unpredictable, too. I know my parents have the elevator that they mostly haul into gets, uh, they put in a rail. Yeah. You know, a rail um, circle. Yeah. And, you know, when you can really tell when the rail is coming in because they're like trying to get corn from everywhere. Yep. But then you'll notice that they're totally full and then they have to wait so long to get another rail to come in. And it's always so iffy when, yeah. when and if it's going to come. Yeah. So uh, that they can load it. Yeah. We, we are, we are, you know, 20, 30, 35 minutes from uh, processors here in Indianapolis, uh, which is great for us, but we then just south of us we have Kokomo Grain who does everything by rail, mm-hmm. and uh, they they're very competitive now. In the past few years, they've been incredibly competitive, even with the processors so close. Yeah, yeah, because the rail's been strong. A lot of times, it goes into the southeast, and the values have been decent. Yeah, um, for that. My parents' corn on the rail goes down to feedlots in texas, texas but yeah. they're kind of in between they're three miles from that rail line and then they're eight miles from the illinois river and the barges and the terminals so they're I would say, in a good spot I, w- <laughs> I would say you know like we are like i said just one county south of indianapolis with processors but um i'd say 70 percent of the county corn here go by rail to the southeast yeah yeah you're in that spot jen because your parents right karen are in illinois Right, we're well, in North Central Illinois. Yep. Yeah. So that would be you'd be heading your most of your stuff would head like south and west into Texas or the Southern Plains there, and then Jen, yeah, you'd be your and I would guess I'm not even going to guess which rail lines you're probably on the NS, Jen. I would guess. Do you see North? Is it Norfolk Southern trains that you see, or is it what do you Something usually out see? Of Louisville. Yeah. And then there's the CSX too, and that we have CSX. the NS. Yep, the CSX goes south. Um, we have a lot of NS in Michigan. See, when I first started trading in Michigan, we had um, we only had rail or feeders, you know, export market rail feeders that you could tr- sell into. And then with the ethanol boom, we we saw you know basically our corn demand double, and now a good portion of our corn actually stays around the state. But we have rail loaders that they struggle to be competitive with um ethanol players like right now especially because we've had a little bit lower than what we'd like to see quality wise come out of the state with the the vom issues vom and corn again um but it's been so that's and that's recently yeah vomitoxin corn recently yeah this past year last fall and uh what's in the bin right now has been our struggle so we had a had a local uh, elevator ship yeah. a, a whole train down into, I think, South Carolina, and they kind of got their hands smacked because it was a little bit higher in bomb than what you wanted it to be. Not very much fun as an elevator at all to have that happen. But, and that's so, that's how his base is set. Because a lot of people just assume, right, that your elevator is just like arbitrarily picking a number. <laughs> and most of the time, people assume it's whatever's going to screw the farmer the hardest. You know, is is what I've seen. And that's really what it is, is is you take whatever you can resell that grain for, whatever it costs to truck it there, and then what your put through cost is. And most of the time you don't even necessarily cover your your put through costs because I figure it costs 15 to 20 cents to put a bushel of grain through a an elevator. If you factor in your employee costs, your energy costs, your repair costs, 
you know, all of these things to just run a facility, you got to figure it costs you around 15 to 20 cents. And so that's really how basis is determined is what can I resell this for? And what's the freight cost going to be? And or what is my competition? You know, if you're trying to buy grain in or whatever, if if I have to be competitive with the the elevator up the road, or if I want to be, those are other questions I ask myself, you know, do I want to handle the grain? Can, is there a chance for me to make money later on? You know, because as much as I would love to say that we're just like this charity place here, that's not the case. My banker tends to get pretty pissed if we don't make money just the same as, as on the farmer side. Hmm. So go figure. Does that make sense? Do you guys, I don't know. Do you have any questions? It's kind of a lot to explain and I don't want it to just be the Angie show. Cause I'm really in- excited to hear Karen talk about how we price fertilizer and stuff. I'm suddenly remembering that my first migraine that I've ever had in my life was the night before an eggy contest in college. Really? And now I remember why. That's what, that's just it. That's what I feel like. So much information. There's and that's what, and I'm just trying to like fly a thousand feet above. You know, like there's so many things, and that's I'll get so many farmers that'll ask me, you know, what what could happen here, and it's like, well, let me lay out seventy seven things. It's like the flow chart of, you know, does this happen? You know, if- it's crazy how much you have to know to be a farmer, because I know you have to know what I know as far as on the science side. You mm-hmm. have to know what Angie knows on the marketing side. Plus, you have to know equipment and stuff. And wow, Jen, I don't really know how you do it. I don't either. That's why I don't call myself a farmer. You are, though. <laughs> you were- I don't know how Chris does it. <laughs> yeah, you were just yeah. like fixing a planter last week, though. Like you were elbow deep in seed blue. Oh, yeah. I was elbow deep in seed lube, which the planter and seed were grateful for. That's what I'm like, you guys you don't know, use talc anymore. Like that, I just learned that you used baby powder, kind of or whatever tel- talcum powder. Anyway, it doesn't that talc- fluency agent is actually new on the market, Angie. So you're not that far behind. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, no. Fluency. So graphite agent. was old. Yeah, so graphite is the original. Then you had the graphite and talc mixed because graphite was. I believe killing the bees. Okay. And then um and then the bear came out with this fluency agent, which I don't know about anybody else, but it's white, so it makes me happy and it looks like powdered sugar. Really? Um, Do you eat it? Oh it does. No, no, uh, no. Bear. I did not eat the fluency agent. That's <laughs> It looks like powdered sugar, but I did not eat it, and I know not to. What is it? And I do not encourage that anyone else a to lot. do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do you eat pancakes um, as a kid? <laughs> Why? <laughs> what do you mean as a kid? <laughs> just did yesterday. Um, I just think, you know, talking about farming, it's a huge undertaking, and, and I've always said this. I don't, you know, I love the industry, but I, I – border on whether to call myself enough a farmer or not because i don't think i could do it all if chris wasn't here there's so yeah, much but you could do. hire somebody yeah i could hire angie i could hire you i mean we how could... many far- people actually farm by themselves alone yes I don't oh, okay anyone... i don't think the smart people are on an island i don't think you can be in any um be successful in any career and be completely on an island you know what I mean? But there's no way you could no. farm one person and have that much acreage. I mean, you would have to have help from somebody, whether it was trucking or mechanical right. repair or it something. Just takes, yeah, it just takes so much knowledge. And this is one of those areas that I lack in severely. I, like I said, there needs to be a book for dummies or a schoolhouse rock video. And then I might learn. Oh. 
So no, I mean, there's a lot that that goes into it, and it's hard because yeah, there there are certain functions that are pretty cut and dry. But the thing is, with marketing, is it's just like anything in agronomy is is um, you can talk to five different people and get five opinions. Um, you know, like right now, there's a lot of people that'll still tell you why they're they're bearish to beans or bearish to corn, excuse me, or bearish to the market in general, or you know, blah blah blah. And then I can could sit here and tell you three different reasons that I think the corn market could hit four forty five by July first. You know what I mean? And and okay. so it's kind tell of tell me a, the difference between a bear and a bull. Oh, please. Okay, a bear is negative to price, so they're expecting the market to go down. Okay. And then a bull is So bears are bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's most of Colton's clothing has bears on it as an ironic fun twist cuz I tend to be kind of <laughs> bullish. Like I'm I'm optimistic. I'm realistic. I'm realistically optimistic, but there's no one that wants to call me and be like, "So Angie, what are you seeing?" Well, the world's going to end and we're all going to die. You know, that's not fun. That's kind of a given, isn't it? It's true. So do you yeah. yell, "Catch me outside." A lot. Right How about that? <laughs> How about that? Uh, so I, I do. That needs to be a video, please. <laughs> we should start doing like what Rob does in Periscope because we love ourselves. Um, so we'll all shove our mouths full of large marshmallows and try and talk. That's why that'll be for the next show. That's why that'll be for our advocate show. But so different commodities, and this is where I don't know anything. So that's the fun part. Like, I know just enough to be dangerous when it comes to, um, like, cattle. Um, the contract hogs, I've learned a little bit about um, so dairy. what are the there. other commodities? Like, isn't butter one? Yeah, you can trade butter. Can't you trade butter? Yeah, you can trade butter. I'd like to take physical delivery on that and some popcorn. <laughs> no joke. Right? So you can trade, like, butter, dairy... Um, like cheese or something too, aren't there? Like cheese boards yeah, or something. Cheese contracts, I guess. Um, that's the one I want. Right, sign me up. Where do I get that one? Where's the booze contract? Except yeah. the delivery is my house. Yeah. Right, that's <laughs> right. just it. This is my delivery point. Now, yeah, there and so there's there's commodities with futures boards, and then there's commodities without, which is kind of a fallacy because there are futures boards for um inputs now fertilizer specifically but it's still that's such a bastardized market because you really only have so many big players in it and so it's hard for you to hedge your risk through that setup i mean a lot of people want to and i'm i'm sure if anyone from fc stones listens to this podcast they're going to call me and be like let's talk about hedging your futures risk on fertilizer and i'm going to be like no let's not and say we did but karen (laughs) Um, tell us the fun stuff. Like how do, how do we price fertilizer and chemicals? Like how do, how does a farmer know, um, when he should be pricing or how does, how do you, you know, someone who's selling that stuff know what they should be selling it for? Well, a lot of times what they sell it for is either how much they paid to get it or how much they have to pay to replace it. So as far as the local level. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're looking on a big scale level for phosphorus and potassium, basically, regardless of the fact that it's produced all over the world, the U.S. demand really is what makes the price. So if a U.S. farmer is buying fertilizer, then the prices tend to stay firm. But if they're wavering and looking at their cost of production and thinking about cutting back and not so um, 
positive about buying the fertilizer, then those prices tend to be soft. So as far as potassium is concerned, the main player is going to be Canada. And then Russia, Belarus, and China are kind of all second, third, and fourth, but pretty close together. Now in the U.S., as far as potassium, we do mine some in both Utah and New Mexico, but it's in very, very small amounts compared to, say, what Canada does. So back to our podcast from last week with the cool, you know, we can't blame Canada for everything because they have some stuff that we need. (laughs) Right? We don't want to fight them on everything. Right. So... Now, what do you think is the effect, you know, with it being such a limited market structure, especially with like your potassium or anything on on that side? I'm thinking like your potash in particular. Is potash potassium? Is that? Yes. Yes. What is, so is that what the pot? So potassium is the element. Potash is um, double O 60. So it's zero, zero, 60, which is NPK. So it's 60% potassium is called potash. Yeah, your NPK. I knew your NPK because I looked that up. (laughs) Because someone was telling me about their NPK and I'm like, what? Because I'm always saying. So I know a lot of times, yeah, (laughs) a lot of times when these plants shut down either for maintenance or because the price just is unbelievably not worth it um they can shut down and then farmers tend to blame that as for prices going upward but it's really as far as it's really a pain to shut down and it's really costly so i mean they don't do that just to bump the price as long as they can put it through and still make some money um they'll keep it going as long as possible yeah but they're not going to hose themselves by oversupplying a market of their own Right. But they don't tend to, you know, turn it on and shut it off um, a lot because that does cost money. There's just a switch that they flip. So now we can talk about nitrogen, which is completely different. And I will just warn you guys that in our operation here, John is the one who tracks all this stuff. So most of my information, I just had him kind of tell me a little bit. Um, He has a bunch of sources that he looks at for both P&K price and then also for nitrogen prices. And then he tracks that and supplies our customers with a chart and gives them um, clues as to what he's seeing and whether that means they should buy or price or wait on stuff. So, um, Thanks, John. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how we work it. So as far as nitrogen is concerned, the first um, product that's produced is ammonia. And then they make ammonia into urea and UAN, which is the 28 or 32% solution. Now, sometimes we get that urea from abroad because it's cheaper and mainly it's cheaper for them to ship urea in if their natural gas um, is basically going to waste. So in places like Trinidad, where they don't need a lot of natural gas because it doesn't get cold and they don't have to heat their homes, you know, large supplies of natural gas in those areas kind of go to waste unless they do something with it. So they can put in, you know, make urea and then ship the urea in also um, from those areas. So Basically, what we look at are the two largest ammonia ports in the U.S. are at Tampa and New Orleans. And um, those are mainly because they're short hauling stuff in from places like Trinidad. So Tampa tends to be less seasonal, more um, ammonia coming through that port more often. Okay. Um, Tampa tends to set the direction. So I guess as Tampa goes, so does the market follow. So if Tampa has a better price than New Orleans, then it indicates a strong market and it's positive. The the price is moving in a positive direction. Whereas Tampa, if Tampa is lower than New Orleans, that's going to indicate a weak market. Okay. 
So that's fun to watch. Now, if the U.S. is strong, it makes offshore urea cheaper, and then that also can put down pressure on the market. So there's a bunch of different factors coming in. And then on top of that, you know, depending on what we're doing in the U.S. as far as where we are in our crop production cycle, yeah. you know, seasonal seasonal needs, like if we're, you know, in the fall or I'm sorry. Yeah. In the fall, if they're putting on an anhydrous or, you know, in the spring after they plant, if they're side dressing, those will also you'll also see seasonal boosts in price if you wait to price it until those times. So are there certain times that are better to price? Like, I mean, in the off season, you can generally get better prices if someone will give you a price yeah. or if you can take possession. It also depends. So and that's part of it. I mean, there's certain ways that, uh, you know, people talk about um, wanting to be able to maximize buying inputs at the lowest and, and getting the most out of their grain. And it really comes down to storage in a lot of times. Right. And we've had a lot of farmers more recently build storage tanks for um, UAN solution for 32 or 28 percent and then have them and then they store it themselves. And in those cases, uh, they can get a better price because they can take it off season. Yeah. And that's I've seen that um, through our own because we do our we we supply inputs. I don't really pay much attention to that to that side. You know, I. I do in, in just a general out of the corner of my eye, but um, the ins and outs of it, I know, are are interesting. And that's I know most of our farmers who are able to take delivery on it tend to get a better price, but it's not always a guarantee either. The other thing that's going on is the domestic nitrogen production here in the U.S. has increased substantially in the last five years due to natural gas being so cheap. And there's still more coming online. The... Um, uh, the nitrogen plant in Weaver, Iowa, was supposed to start production, I believe, on the 20th, so sometime last week. Yeah. And so as those production plants come online, that should, you know, put pressure on the nitrogen price, too, and make it, I guess, not necessarily go lower, but at least not go higher. What are you seeing with the mergers, like, with uh, um, on the potash side? Because we're seeing, right, certain suppliers there are kind of coming. Right. They haven't been approved yet, um, but. Yeah, the PCS and Agrium, if approved, I think, and I can't remember the exact number, but I thought I'd read somewhere that that would control about 60% of the potash. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you have Mosaic, and then there's some Russian companies and a Belarus company, and then Yara um, is kind of the order. So, uh, yeah, it's it. There is small suppliers, but it's one of those things that I mean, you know, the U.S. farmer is only going to tolerate such a high price. I mean, there was a couple years ago where P and K were both over a thousand bucks a ton. Well, if the farm the farmers can't make money using that, so they're not going to use it. They're going to go with what they have, maybe mine a year or two, depending on what their levels are, and they're going to wait it out. I mean, they're not just going to pay whatever price there is. I mean, they can't go broke keeping a potash company, you know, making money. So, What would you replace potash with? Uh, you wouldn't, but your soil has some in it, and so you would you probably... go without. You would go without putting it on until you could afford to put it back on again. I mean, but those prices when they were over a thousand bucks, they didn't um, they didn't last for for very long. Yeah, so well, that makes sense. I mean, that's the the question that I always had is you know there's certain ways that I guess there's certain times when the price just gets to the point where guys aren't going to use that, and then you're not gonna ma- you're not necessarily maximizing your yields. 
you know, so it is something that you want to look at and... uh, But depending on what your levels were, you may not be hurting them either because some guys have luxury levels on potash. In some places, you know, like North Dakota, Minnesota, you know, the soil itself has very high potash levels. So, you know, putting on potash isn't the number one priority in in all of where they grow corn. Interesting. See? Yep. These are things, this is why, I don't know, you start talking about chemical whatever what's that chart with all the chemicals on it the periodic table table. yeah what is that chart chart with all the chemicals on it those aren't chemicals those are elements elements oh that make chemicals right that's why (laughs) yes you you put them together to make things like salt and other chemicals i get the h2o one or whatever that always the hydro Chloride. What was? What is that? The joke where they're like hydro. H two O is water. I know, uh, but what's the oh. one where they're like hydro uh, oxygen? Diammonium hydride. Yes, yes. that's. Oh yeah, yeah. Di di What's di- that? That's H two O, right? Isn't it dihydride? Di. I can't even say it. <laughs> you can say it, Karen. <laughs> I've got faith. We can do it. Anyway, it's Friday and it's Carbon afternoon. monoxide is another one. Carbon dioxide. Yeah. Yes. So it always kind of cracks me up a little bit. But um, uh, Jen, tell us about yes. pricing livestock because you guys don't grow contract hogs. So you're not you're not married to someone, right? You you're you sell your hogs on the do you sell them on the open market or how do you guys go about your deal? And how do we how do you price hogs in general? So I'm going off Chris's notes because I'm the hauler, not the seller. Um, so we, the way we're set up, we we need to sell hogs every week. Um, not a huge amount to make the market do anything, but we have to sell every week. So we usually call ahead of time uh, about a week, two weeks out and try to tell them how many head we're going to have and that we need to move them. We are not contracted with anybody. Uh, right now, we have a pretty good relationship with Tyson. So that's for the past few years, that's where all our hogs have gone. Um It just works best for us. Now, we haul to a buying station. After that, we have to pay trucking into Tyson, uh, into Logansport. Uh, Most of our stuff goes into Logansport, Indiana. Um, So, like, when we sell, we are priced, and I'm just going to read off Chris's notes here. So, um, hogs right now, fat hogs, if that's what they want to call them, and not... People don't like the word fat for some reason, but whatever. Um, are traded um, and quoted price on carcass price, not live weight. Okay. So once they are hanging, then they, and down to the carcass, then they are weighed. And then that's where your price comes from. That's where your weight comes from for your price. Okay. Does that make so sense? So you don't know what you're getting for your hog your weight, at least, you know the price that you're getting, but you don't know your weight until after. Right, until after processing. So that price is figured on a, I got to check my language here, is a combination of a three-day price. He calls it a, a CME. I thought there was another word for it. There's a future CME anyway, price would make sense. So it's a three-day average on the CME? Yes. There you go. Look at you. Yes. It's a three-day average. And so 
So, so, so we get a three-day average is the base price okay. that we get for our hogs. So when I hauled a load yesterday, I got the three-day average base price on that hanging carcass. Okay. On the weight of that hanging carcass. So yesterday's loads were priced out at $53.29. Okay. On the hanging carcass per hundredweight. Okay. Now, the way we do ours is uh, we also do yielded grade, which means that once they are once they're hanging, they measure the back fat, the yield, and the loin depth, and then we get a bonus on top of that when those meet their requirements. Okay, that makes sense. So it's like grain uh, in the sense that you know, like if you have a high test weight in wheat going into a flour mill, you get an extra penny or two. Right. And so, so yesterday's load, I took three loads yesterday. Yesterday's uh, base price was 53.29. So that that's per hundred weight. We usually get um, about 550 on top of that. Okay. For the carcass premium. Yeah. So then they'll take that weight. Uh, Yesterday's weights, let's say I had three loads. They went, they probably averaged 285. Okay. If you want to know what we got paid yesterday. Um, so it's kind of confusing. Like today, though, I hauled coal sows and they're completely on the spot market. Um, you know, depending on who's processing coal sows right now. So, and then they're a base price. The spot market is, is like the cash market and grain where like, cause right now, like your May futures are trading 66, 62, but you, your processors paying you X amount of value based on that less cost kind of deal like it's just like anything else right right so so when i unloaded when i unloaded call sales today i walk in alan says this is you know he sorts them and he says this is what i'm willing to pay for you know these eight they're in really good shape this is what you know this is what i'm paying today and he cuts me a check okay good okay that makes sense so that's nice you get it i'm glad it makes sense to somebody well it's a um now, what do you do if you're if they're contract? Like, if it's a contract, do you know I, anything on the contract side? Like, if you grow for so so and so that because I know, like, I have certain customers in Michigan where the deal was, um, you basically sign something that says you're going to grow for the next so many years. Your costs are attached to building that barn or that hog site but that's paid through the what you get for growing the hogs and then like after so many years you're you're then open you can either continue to sell contract through them and get the money or you're open to the spot market does that make sense is that like that is it or am i did they tell me that wrong or did i understand it no no i you know i'll be honest i know nothing about contract barns um so so you have your contract barns where where they come in and and you own the barns and they own the hogs yeah. going through them and your job is to raise them um then you've also got you know I could I can own my barns and my hogs but I'm under contract to sell to somebody because I I've you know I don't want to say forward contracted but I've signed a contract that I'm going to deliver them all my hogs Okay um, we, we, yeah, we do not do that. We, I could go to several different places with our hogs. We just happen to have a really good working relationship and, um, with Tyson right yeah. now. 
Um, so, so I don't have to go to them every week, but we do because that relationship is working. Yeah. Um, if I have a load and, you know, I don't really know till I get over there what that three-day average is going to be. Uh, but I do know that we've worked with Tyson long enough. They're willing to pay us that yield and grade because they've come, you know, they expect it from our hogs. They know basically what they're going to cut out and what they look like and, and that they can count on that quality. Gotcha. That makes sense. But I know nothing about contract barns. That's, yeah. I don't know. Karen, do you know anything about them? No, I have some customers who have them and then they're, well, I guess I have customers who have the barns on their land and somebody takes care of everything except my customer takes the manure. Wow, that makes sense. And there, and see, yeah, and there's, there's that version too. There's, you know, well, I, I've got, you know, somebody can be looking for five acres of land to build barns on, but they don't have anywhere to get rid of manure. So then they need some place to haul the manure. And so there's somewhat of a cut price on the land because you get the, um, manure for the fertility and I, there's just so many different ways to work that that makes sense i mean that's um there's it's i've seen it in a lot of like i said a lot of different ways like michigan right now the the big push was um what i was talking about where the customer um i don't even necessarily think he take he takes on the debt basically with the company that he's growing for and that's what right, they and that's, finance yeah, the building. they finance the building, and then yeah. he gets so much a month. Like no matter what the board does, he was locking in a certain price at that point in time, and then it was for an extended period of time on the contract. And then he hit the point where he was, you know, once the building was paid off or whatever, then it was his decision to do with. I don't know if he ended up going that way or not, um, because he wasn't sure if he wanted to. I don't I don't think he did. I don't know. Cause he called and asked me a bunch of questions and I was like, Grr. it was my response. Yeah, the the hog industry is is and I don't understand chickens either, but um, very similar. It's completely Yeah, I, I think the chicken industry is a lot like where the hog industry is gone. Yeah. Um a lot of contract barns, a lot of you know, you still got your independent producers, but um, you know, they're not they don't make up the majority. They do not make up the majority. Like yes. your cattle feeders. Um, I mean, your cattle feeders. The, like your cattle. You, yeah. Uh, most. I mean, you have your feedlots, right? You know, like Cargill just gave up their right. sold theirs to Green Plains this week or whatever. So you do have some that are commercial owned feedlots, but it's not to that extent yet. But I think that's because cattle are so land intensive. Like you can't just borrow five and acres. And I think that's you true. Know, I mean, you can right. see a lot of cattle in a feedlot on five acres and be like, ugh, um, you know, and and I guess that's how it, it works for them or whatever. But then you also have, you know, like it, Gerald McDaniel sticks out to me from yesterday when he was talking about, or Thursday, you know, talking about, I could drive around all 1,900 acres that these cattle are on pasture on, or I could put the drone up and see where they're at. And I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around, like, having cattle in 1900 acres that they just roam around on. But I know like there's a lot of that that goes on. That'd be a dream come true. Me too. Like, honestly, I'm like, can I, can I come and just have 150 acres to put cattle on? Yeah. I don't need all of it. Just a small portion. But it is in Oklahoma. So I guess, you know, I was going to say, you'll have to move south or west. (laughs) And they have snakes and, stuff down there i don't know you've got cold in idaho like idaho would be gorgeous except for the weather 
can get really ugly. And then you've got like Oklahoma or Kansas that you could move to, which the weather is okay for the most part, but you'll get like freezing rain and all of the wind and then the snakes. So. Yeah, no snakes. And now armadillos and wild hogs. Yeah. Armadillos aren't going to like jump up and bite you in the ankle though. Like you're going to see an armadillo. No, but they could carry disease. Yeah, true. Like a bird. Birds carry lots of disease. It's gross. But I hate uh, birds. Um, I'm not a fan. But so on the cattle side, and that's what's been interesting. Wait, 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 wait. You're not a fan of birds, but you want chickens? I chickens aren't I don't like want chickens. birds. Chickens aren't like chickens are birds. Chickens are birds. Chickens are they disgusting. Are birds, but unless they're fried. They're not gonna live in my house. Okay. I, you know, really I don't want chickens. I kinda do, but then I don't. Like I'm like, we should get chickens. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> one of those things where I'm like, it'd be fun to walk out and have my own eggs for like the first two days and then I'd be over it. You know, it'd just be another freaking responsibility that I'd have that I'd be angry about. You can buy eggs at the That's grocery store. That's just it. Or I can have someone else raise the damn chickens and not. I've kind of gotten away from the chicken thing. I got my bunny, so I'm happy about that. But I really want my cows. And so we, we're in a pissing match right now about cows because I want Hereford heifers. I just want it to be able to have like a calf in the spring or whatever or two. And if it's a dude calf, we send it on its way to a new farm where it'll enrich someone's life until it ends up being steak. And then I can keep... You know, I can keep my Hereford heifers until they die of old age. Like, that's what I want. I love oh. Herefords. I have one that's going to die of old age yeah. out here. Marianne. She, I mean, they're just so sweet. Like, they're like dog cows. They are. They're the best cows in the world. Yeah. They really are. But, um, so yeah, I'm not a fan of birds. But, so cattle, on the cattle side, that's what's been really interesting. And everyone's been like, well, why is the cattle market rallying? Blah, blah, blah. Um, cattle kind of are different to me. And I know cattle traders are going to shoot me for saying this, but... Instead of the futures market dictating cash price, the cash market tends to dictate futures price in cattle. And so I think that's what a lot of people have a hard time understanding is everyone thinks that, you know, futures should be driven by whatever it is, you know, going on from an overall standpoint. And that's what determines cash. Well, in cattle, your packers, they either need it or they don't. You know what I mean? Your packers are going to buy it. They're going to process it. And they either need it or they don't. And so, you know, everyone's been kind of talking about why cattle have to fall out of bed. But we've seen a steady increase in cash prices, you know, because the supply of cattle's kind of gone down. The supply of live cattle, the weights are going down on slaughter. So obviously we don't have as much. And uh, so it's a different market setup. It's kind of interesting to watch. And then it's all so um, specialized locally. Which, I mean, your hogs... Like that Which too, I, I think. Well, a little bit, but now hogs are year round. Yeah. Like we said, cattle aren't. Yeah. Um, I don't. I wonder if hogs will ever be profitable again. And I'm probably speaking out of my. No, ass, I don't think you but, are. I've had a lot of people tell me that they don't think um, they will be. I just it, it's it's like hitting your head against a mm-hmm. wall every morning. I mean, why? But yet we still do yeah. it. Because you love them because they're sweet and cute and they run. No, I hate hogs. Yeah, I'm not a fan of God, hogs. I hate hogs. They're horrible. Like we walk by the hog barns up here and the noises that they make. I'm, you know, and um, ugh, we draw. People think hogs oink. Hogs they bark. They scream. They're terrible. And they scream and they don't care about you and they run over you and. Yeah. And they annoying. kill each other too don't they They're they really, do they they'll eat each other yeah, to death they're awful 
Well, everybody wants a pork chop. Come on. That's true. Bacon is there is nothing that tastes better than sausage after hauling hogs. Uh, it was, I can imagine. I'm not even kidding. I can imagine. Oh, sausage tastes so sweet after you've sorted, loaded, and hauled a load yeah. of hogs. Everyone that I talk to that has hogs hate, like hates them. So, but people that have cattle love the, you know, like they still have a great bond with their cattle. Like whether they have a feedlot or they have, you know, 20 out back or whatever, like they, their cattle are, and maybe it's because you spend more time with them. Like, isn't a hog ready to basically, isn't it uh, nursery to finish in like six months or so or whatever? I know you can restock like after PEDV, like most people say it took about six months for a barn to recover. Is that? We we can, we can from, from uh, Pharaoh to finish, we can do. Between five okay. and six months for a 300-pound hog. So you never really ha- worry about running out of hogs. As long as you have sows to make babies, you're going to have hogs in another six months or whatever. Which is what kills the market because a, ho- a, cat- a cow takes two years plus, right? Right. 15 yeah. Months. yeah. 15 months. 15 months. So, you know, I don't know. 15 months to two yeah. years. it's interesting i don't know it's kind of fun to watch how things you know because you think about it and you're like i raised this and i have all of these inputs and i do these things and then some other bastard somewhere along the line determines what my price is that i get which at least ours is somewhat simple milk pricing yeah yeah did you dig into that because i didn't oh god i tried to be honest with you um, All I figured out is I'm not smart enough to be a dairy farmer. I am not I'm either. All I know hard. is that there are... Either. I, I just... It's complicated. And getting from reading this thing is that just let the dairy farmer do what they need to do and buy more dairy. <laughs> Eat I more drink cheese, milk. drink more milk. Right. <laughs> I drank my milk with my frozen pizza right before we started because this. They deserve more money based on how this is all figured out. <laughs> That's... I mean... Yeah, I think so. Oh, I, Chris says I'm also supposed to mention the word convergence. Yes. Because it's very important and it makes me sound it's, smart. It's true. And convergence is just with the so, future when the futures market and the cash price come together. So I brought up the word Which is why a lot of people are... I was thinking it was a movie, but then I was like, wait, that's deliverance. <laughs> deliverance. <laughs> it's basically... Which thing. dealing with the markets is kind yeah, of the same thing. the yeah, same so. thing. That's why it definitely is. So, and convergence is important because you want, you know, in theory, you're supposed to be able to look at the board and know what the price is, you know, what price you're going to get. And so that's where that discussion came in about variable rate storage and stuff like that in the South and the Southern Plains. Um wheat that they reintroduced but that's a whole other topic so and if anyone wants to know anything else about hog pricing i have a front and back sheet of paper single space type by chris is amazing Campbell to me. that that will um could explain can define some things talks about the market how his dad used to sell hogs i mean it's all here I can I can take a picture of it and put it up if y'all That's, are interested. I would like you to. That that oh, would work that. for me. So, um so yeah, that's about the gist. That's like our our little overview on on cash markets. I've got a couple extra points here on my outline, but um it's we've gone on long enough and I'm afraid we may lose lose our our people here. 
some folks may. I mean, I know you you lost me and I'm yeah, part of it. I mean, so. <laughs> I know we're awesome and it's great and everyone's waiting with bated breath to see if I have another song to sing, but I don't. I mean, I could, but I'm not gonna. You're gonna you're gonna work on the schoolhouse. Yes, rock that's thing, what I will right? do. Promise? I will I will work okay. on that for you, so I can tell you, you know, the thing. Okay. I'm having flashback nightmares of Aggie that's- 100. See, I never took it, and now I'm sad. I wish I would have. I'm going to have to go drink like I used to right. just to forget it. This could be a long night. Chad, that was worth Chad it. you better come home early to watch That's the kids. What, Mama's going to drink her happy juice now, guys. We'll see you. We'll see you later. That's why I, I, uh, last Friday I got done writing my newsletter. I'm like, where's the booze? That was- <laughs> I would want booze oh, before man. I Oh, I should during. That's that's for sure. So, but uh, yeah, if you if you guys have nothing else to add, I'll go ahead and and uh, we'll get this wrapped up this week. I I hope we helped explain some stuff to you. Do you guys have any points that you want to throw out there? Anything else? I'm Once still be more dairy. dairy. Have all yeah. the cheese. So, all right, I uh, I will call it. We'll call it a day then. Uh, we thank you guys for listening as always, and we'll look forward to uh, another great discussion on awesome topics next week. So until then, have a good one.